RadioInfluence.com. This is the MMA Report with Jason Floyd on Radio Influence. Welcome in to a new episode of the MMA Report podcast. It is Sunday, July the 3rd, 2022, and this is the interview edition of the show as I come in here a day following UFC 276, where Izzy retained the middleweight title. Volkanovski retained the featherweight title. I'll give you some of my thoughts here on what I saw last night, UFC 276, here in a moment. Of course, uh, this is the interview edition of the show, and I have got a five-pack of fire interviews here on this edition of the podcast you're going to hear from Danny Sabatello coming off that victory against Leandro Higo to punch his ticket into the semifinals of the Bellator Bantamweight World Grand Prix of course he's now going to be taking on Rafael Stas I had a chance to uh, talk to Danny about his win and a range of other topics then you're going to hear from a fighter that if you've been watching this season of the alternate fighter she fights in the semifinals on this week's episode of the alternate fighter Laura Gallardo she stepped up here into the alternate fighter as an alternate she got got a win in the semi in the quarterfinal she now fights here in the semifinals this week you'll hear her talk about uh kind of that journey and, and what exactly happened with her coming in as the alternate for the alternate fighter then you're going to hear from a man who was coming off a victory a couple weeks ago mario batista of course i got that submission win there against brian Kelleher at ufc vegas 57 speak to, spoke to him about uh, that win and what is next for him then you're going to hear from a man that's going to be heading over to london at the, at the UFC of London event on July the 23rd. Charles Rosa, very interesting conversation uh, with Charles. Of course, I've had a chance to interview Charles a bunch of times. Part of this conversation is the fact of some of the changes that he has made leading up to this fight. And one of the noble changes is when you think of Charles Rosa, you think of a guy who trains at American Top Team, not training at American Top Team not anymore. Now he's training. He's training at uh, you know a collection of gyms, but most notably doing a lot of work there at uh, Sanford MMA, which is now under a new name um, as a new sponsorship name for for that gym. And then the final conversation will be with a man who's going to be fighting this Saturday at UFC Vegas 58. Jared Vandera, of course, going to be taking on Chase Sherman. So I had a chance to uh, catch up with Jared, and uh, you know, good amount of conversation was kind of about you know what. Happened happened his last fight against Alexia Olenek but also we did talk about uh you know this matchup here on uh, Saturday against Jared Van Der. Of course as always appreciate you taking time out of your day to download and listen to this episode of the podcast of course a great way to show your support for the podcast leaving a rating and review on whatever podcasting platform you may be listening to this show on and of course uh as always appreciate uh, if maybe you can subscribe to the our YouTube channel which of course uh, has where all the fire interviews and clips from the podcast do uh, are posted at so if you can uh, you know, hit that subscribe button that really does help a lot and if you watch the video man if you can uh, hit that thumbs up and, and leave a comment that that really does help me out a little helps me out with that algorithm and trying to uh, you know increase uh, you know the amount of people that are seeing 
my content. But of course, last night was UFC 276. Izzy goes out there, unanimous decision win, 49-46 on two of the judges' scorecards, 50-45. to uh, Personally, I did have 49-46. I did uh, score the third round for Jared Cannonier. But, but I mean, look, was it the most fan-friendly fight? No, it was not. Uh, I mean, look, it's Izzy went out there, he did what he needed to do. Uh, by the way, great walk-in walk uh, that Izzy did have there. Uh, you know, with, with the Undertaker theme and the urn and all that, that was pretty cool. Uh, but I mean, look, not exactly the, the uh, a fan friendly fight, but man, we of course we now know his next opponent is going to be Alex Bahia, who got that knockout win against Sean Strickland in the first round. And you know, leading into that fight, it was one of these things with Sean Strickland: would he sit there and utilize a overall mixed martial arts game plan using takedowns? He did not, and he paid for that, getting knocked out there. In the opening round, and of course, uh, Alex and Izzy have their history from kickboxing. Of course, they fought two times in kickboxing. Alex winning both those matchups. So, uh, interested to see when those two guys. Maybe that's going to maybe November, December, potentially. We could see that that fight between those two guys. And of course, Volkanovski man just looked absolutely amazing in the co-main event. I mean, what I mean that that was just a tremendous performance. I mean, that's really all you can say about it. I mean, that was an absolute dominating performance there. Uh, by the way. Uh, kudos to the cut man in and Max Holloway's corner for uh, keeping him in that fight. It was kind of weird to me that you really never saw Mark Goddard ask the doctor to come in. Uh, I thought that was kind of interesting. Of course, so we did see the doctor come in in the opening matchup of the pay-per-view uh, with Sean O'Malley and Pedro Munoz ends up being a no contest due to an inadvertent eye poke there. And, uh, you know, in, in the opening round of that matchup, Pedro Munoz did a good job with the leg kicks and it's, it's crazy when you look at the official stats on that one. Pedro Munoz landed 26 strikes. All those strikes were leg kicks. He was 0 for 9 uh, when targeting the head. Um, and, and look, I, I not to come off as a Sean O'Malley homer here at all, but to me, the fight was turning into Sean O'Malley's favor there in the second round. I think he kind of started to figure some things out. And, and to me, the, the fight was turning there. And uh, look, right when I, I thought Jason Herzog maybe brought the, the doctor in a little quickly, you know, I, I think that maybe he could have potentially maybe given Pedro a more of a chance there. Uh, but right when uh, when Pedro tells the doctor that he can't see, it's like a fight's over. I mean, that's just you just know it. right when a, a fire tells a doctor that that he can't see. Yeah, that, that fight is over there. We'll see. Maybe that gets rebooked. Uh, Barbara and Lawler, man, that was a fun fight. Uh, great job there by Barbara. Brian Barbarina getting the TKO, TKO win there in the second round. Just, man, you talk about volume in that fight. And, man, great win there by Bar Brian Barbarina. Then on the prelims, uh, Jalen Turner, man, he looked amazing with that guillotine choke submission there in 45 seconds. Great win by him. Uh, Jim Miller, also, he gets a submission win via guillotine choke in round two. Donald Cerrone retiring after that fight is over. And the quote that he said, he goes, I don't love this anymore. Now, if you list this podcast for a length of time, you know, I never believe retirement's in MMA. And, uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see, you know, is this retirement for real with Donald Cerrone? You know, but maybe he's at that point of his life where he says, you know what? 
it's just time for me to move on. And, and when you hear a fighter say that they don't love this anymore, yeah, it's, it's probably time to go out. And, uh, you know, and of course, uh, it'll go down as the last time Donald Strong won a fight back in 2019 against Al Iaquinta. So, uh, and Jim Miller, man, he looked good. You know, Jim Miller th- wins three in a row for the first time since 2016. All three wins via stoppage, man. Uh, Jim Miller. And, and it'd be interesting to kind of see what happens there. Uh, Ian Gary goes out there and gets a win against Gabe Green. Ian Gary, obviously, a guy to pay attention to as a prospect. Best. Uh, Trickus Duplessis gets a unanimous decision win over Brad Tavares. What a goddamn chin that Brad Tavares has. I mean, man, he took some shots. I just feel like there would be a lot of middleweights that would have dropped. I mean, he just took some massive shots there. Uh, you know, Trickus Duplessis, I mean, I think one of the things that when you watch that fight and you kind of, as you, you look ahead for him is the fact of he's probably got to conserve his his cardio because you really saw in that first round uh you know he just he looked gassed as a second and third round I mean he just kept going in there and but uh kudos to him and uh, I mean look he is a guy to, to pay attention to at 185 pounds but there are some things like that charging style I just feel like there are going to be some counter strikers that are going to be able to time that and I think he's got to clean that up uh, there in his game uh Andre Muniz with a decision win over Uriah Hall I mean he looked he looked you know he went out there and did what he needed to do um you know I think the only like if I was going to have any you know criticism of Andre Muniz is the fact of you know he he just constantly kept going for the arm instead of going for other type of chokes there I mean and I think that's got to be his team's kind of thinking of you know hey you know you gotta you know if, you, if the RNC is there the guillotine is there whatever type of choke it may be but to me he was just so much ser- uh, searching for some type of arm submission there uh, Macy Barber gets a win against Jessica I following the matchup Jessica I she announces her retirement Macy Barber announces that it was the last fight on her UFC contract which is pretty interesting so uh you know she fought out her deal it'd be kind of interesting to find out if the UFC offered her a contract before this matchup if they did not offer her a contract maybe that that says maybe uh maybe the UFC is uh you know not not as high on Macy Barber as maybe we thought there and Jessica I of course a longtime veteran in this sport I, I know I saw some things on on social media after fact I guess she's uh, kind of alluding to maybe trying professional wrestling. Of course, uh, uh, professional wrestling WWE was in Las Vegas last night. Vince McMahon in the building uh, after the, the uh, WWE pay-per-view was over, along with Triple H and, and Stephanie and, and Pac McAfee. Uh, really interesting to see Vince McMahon in the audience. Uh, I, I can't ever call him being in, in, at a UFC show. Uh, and then the opening matchup, uh, Juliana Storolenko. She only needs 42 seconds to get an armbar submission against Jessica Rose Clark. Jessica Rose Clark on her Instagram noted that uh, she's likely going to need elbow surgery and now uh, Jessica Rose Clark has been uh, submitted by armbar in her last two fights but you know overall top to bottom it, it was a very enjoyable night of fights I mean look the main event was not the the most uh, exciting matchup at, at all I mean let's just be honest about it um, and of course the co-main event was just really it was a one-sided fight I mean it, you know Alexander Volkanovsky just just looked amazing but when you look at the rest of this car I, I just thought that really delivered I mean going into it you looked at it top to bottom on paper. I was like, man, this this looks like a great card. And, uh, you know, it was, I will say this, uh, every time I order a UFC pay-per-view, and so on my, my phone, anytime there's an online charge to my credit card, I get a, I get a notification. 
and and I see it's eighty five oh eight, and I'm like, good lord! I mean, I'm paying over ten dollars in taxes for these UFC pay per views. It's just it's crazy to me. I mean, what's it? You know, seventy four ninety nine, and then you know when you buy it on ESPN, you know, on the ESPN website it says you know, uh, then plus taxes and, and applicable you know, things. And I'm just like, man, it's it's always kind of crazy to me how much it, it does cost for a, a UFC pay per view in twenty twenty two, and uh, well. I would imagine that's only going to continue to rise. I mean, I think that I, I you know, what look five years from now, I think we're paying a hundred dollars for UFC pay per views. I, I just I don't think ESPN's going to lower the rate. And uh, I will say this: before the fight started, and you know, I work in in the restaurant and bar industry, and uh, you know, um, you know, we had some conversations leading up to this pay per view of whether or not we should get this pay per view. Ultimately, we decided not to get it, and I got a call saying that we were getting actually a lot of phone calls asking about. It. So I think it's kind of interesting. You know, I mean, look, how much of that is it's a holiday weekend, or how much of that may have to do with, you know, Izzy. And how much of a potential star he is with uh, not just the MMA community, but uh, you know the sports community. So um, you know, obviously that performance is not going to to win over a lot of fans that maybe are not hardcore MMA fans. But uh, you know, it, it I did find that pretty interesting. But uh, let's get into the interview edition of this episode of the MMA Report podcast. Up first, you're going to hear my conversation with Danny Sabatello, who is coming off a decision victory there at Bellator 282 to punch his way into the semifinals of the Bellator Bantamweight Grand Prix. So I spoke to him about that win against Leandro Higo, his upcoming fight against Rafael Stotts, and also we talked about his motivation in the fight game. Joining me now here on the MMA Report is a man who has now advanced on to the semifinal round of the Bellator Bantamweight Grand Prix. Danny, congratulations on the victory. I was thinking about it as I was setting this up with your management of, of something you said uh, when we talked leading into this fight where you talked about, hey, I'm a gym rat. You know, Mike Brown's got to tell me to go home. You know, he, he's like, hey, man, get out of the gym. So it made me think about it. We're seven days since this fight happened. Have they been trying to keep you out of the gym? Yeah, absolutely, but they haven't been successful at it. I was at the gym yesterday. Um, you know, the good thing about this fight was not only that I dominated Higo, but I also took zero punishment. You know, I'm fine. I got no broken bones, nothing sprained, no bruises or anything. Um, and that's just obviously good for the next fight. Um, we can schedule it ASAP. I already reached out to Bellator, and I told them I'm healthy and ready to go. So it's more so just waiting on them. But hopefully they'll schedule something soon, um, and I'm hoping, you know, we get maybe either a September or an October slot. And I was thinking about it because uh, obviously you were such a fan favorite uh, in Connecticut last weekend. It made me think about like, you know, I was listening to your interview on, on Hawaii show and you're talking about like, man, I would love for this fight to happen in Chicago. It'd be awesome. You mentioned some other locations, but because of uh, the way some people interact with you, is there party that wants to go to Stotts' backyard in Houston? I either want to go to my backyard or his backyard. I want these fans to go absolutely nuts. I know Chicago will be insane if we did it there. If we are at the Allstate Arena, that arena may not never be the same after. But it would be just as cool to be in Stotts' backyard. I don't really know where he's from, and I don't know if he can actually generate too many people. You know, the reason why Stotts is big right now is because people don't like him. They just hate me. So he should be begging me and thanking me and very happy that I'm making his career. I'm making him more popular because he's going up against me. But yeah, anytime I can engage these 
fans make them go nuts, whether it's cheering for me, whether it's booing me, I don't give a fuck. I just want to rile everybody up. You know, that's kind of just my personality. I'm, I know that throughout my career, I'm going to have people love me. I'm going to have people hate me. Again, I don't give one fuck. It's more fun to me when they're engaging. I love it when they boo me, when they flick me off, when they tell me I suck. It's just more motivating for me. But of course, I also love all the love. Um, and if we were in Chicago, the fans would be absolutely nuts. But I'm afraid for him because once he steps foot in Chicago, my boys might jump him. I don't know if it's such a good idea, but it would be fucking awesome. Um, again, we don't know when and where, but it would be a very good idea if it was in Chicago or wherever the fuck his backyard is. I don't even know. You know, I've talked to like, you know, fire trick with the regional scene. They talk about like, hey, man, I, I love being that B side of the fight, going into my opponent's hometown, being that guy. Does like this go back even to your wrestling days of you like kind of, you know, get going into a tournament and you know the fact of like, hey, man, I'm going to be in this tournament. I'm going to face some guys that this is their home mat. Yeah, absolutely. And throughout my life, throughout my competition career, people have always hated me. You know, the field always hates me. My competition doesn't like me. They always team up against me. You know, if you go on Bellator's posts on their Instagram or anywhere really on Instagram, you'll see all the bantamweights kind of coming together, talking shit about me. My name is in all of their mouths. It's pretty much just me versus all these motherfuckers. I know they're all waiting for me to lose. They all got drafts in their tweets, ready to tweet out. Oh, Sabatello's a big mouth, but can't back it up. He just lost. But you know what? Guess what? I'm not going to fuck lose it makes it even more sweet that all these guys fucking hate me that i'm the b side you know it's funny because people look at me i'm kind of the, the underdog but if you look at the betting lines in all my fights man i'm minus 600 minus 800 i'm not making all my fans money but i think with this fight i might be uh the plus side for this one i'm hoping i come out as a plus 120 plus 130 so i can make some people money um but yeah i, I love being the underdog but i think people are becoming a little bit more intelligent and realizing how good I am. You know, I'm not just good on the mic, but I'm so good in that fucking cage. I'm dominating legends like Brett Johns and Leandro Higo. Um, so I, I don't know if I'm too much of an underdog anymore. I think people understand that I can easily win this tournament. That's another thing. You know, I'm not just going out there and getting these split decision victories. I'm going out there and I'm straight dominating these guys. You know, that last fight with Higo was a five round fight. I lost one round. The rest of the rounds, I was just beating the shit out of him. And I plan to do that against Stas too. I don't plan on losing around and I plan on finishing him. Yeah, I know you, you mentioned about the, you know, kind of like, I don't know if regret's the right way to say this, but you mentioned about like, hey, man, I wish I would have thrown the elbows on the ground. Like when you go back and you're watching the fight and you're kind of evaluating, you know, all 25 minutes, is it is it more about the like, you know, like inch here, inch there, throwing elbows? Is that more of what you're looking at as, as opposed to like, hey, man, you know, I had this great takedown, I had a great transition. Is it is it more about the, I guess, the con side of the fight as, as opposed to the pros? Yeah, absolutely. More of the con side, just because the pros, I mean, that was the whole fight. I was just dominating him. So there's not much more there, but the cons, yeah, maybe just like here, little inches here and there, but you know, hindsight's 2020. It's hard to say I could have opened up a little bit more because that's kind of what he goes looking for. You know, when you fight a guy like Leandro Higo, who's just an insane black belt on the ground, he's waiting for me to open up and then he could take advantage of it. If I make one little slip up with a guy like that, he grabs my neck, my arm, my leg, and then the fight's over. So obviously I look back and I think, man, I could have opened up and elbowed him a little bit more 
more, but a lot of times when you're elbowing, you expose yourself. If you overcommit on an elbow, he can get an angle on it. But yeah, I mean, I, I am absolutely very happy with my performance. Make no mistake about it, but I didn't finish him. So it's not an A plus, it's just an A. Um, and again, a guy like that, you kind of have to be cautious, a little bit timid, very smart on the ground, just because his opportunity, he'll take an inch and, and grab it by a mile, you know, whatever the fuck that saying is. Um, but a guy like Stotts, it's a completely different fight. I can just absolutely open up because he has no finishing capabilities. You know, he's not really good anywhere, but he's pretty good everywhere. He's got good stand-up, not great stand-up. He's got good ground game, not great ground game. You know, I'm not too worried if I got on top of him, if I open up with elbows, that he'll be able to reverse me or get in a choke or anything like that. So obviously I can open up with him, and that's why I think I'll finish him. Completely different fight. He doesn't have any special moves. He's not a specialty anywhere. Um, but yeah, looking back on that ego fight again, I'm very happy. You know, anytime you can win an MMA, you fucking take what you can get. You'd be happy with it because winning is so hard, especially at the biggest level in Bellator on Showtime. I had thousands and thousands of fans fucking booing me. I had all the eyes on me. You know, everyone was looking forward to my fight. My fight was the main event. Um, so yeah, very happy with it. But of course, didn't get the finish. So I could I could tweak a little things here and there. Of course, uh, after this event's over, it's a great night for your coach with with you and Johnny. I mean, did you sh share some vodka with Johnny? hundred percent. Yes. That night was insane. You know, it sucked though for Mike Brown because he cornered me in the Coleman event. I won. Then he cornered Johnny. He won. But then Mike had to get up at like 3 a.m., to go to uh, Vegas to corner Gamera in his UFC main event. So Mike Brown didn't even sleep that night. But you know what? We'll take it. That's what ADT does. We got guys fighting every fucking weekend in the biggest promotions, and we're winning. So it was a great fucking night. Uh, me and Johnny had a bunch of fun. And as we should, you know, you got to celebrate the victories. They were massive victories. It was only just a few years ago, me and him walked into ATT together, didn't know how to fucking fight, and here we are taking over the whole fight game. Yeah, I mean, I mean, remember you talk about that, like literally both of you walked in the same exact week leading into this one. Like, but I was thinking about with you and I remember when you got into this tournament, I, I told people, I'm like, look, Danny is the dark horse in this tournament. I go, he is a bad matchup for a lot of people in this tournament. You think about where you were when you got into it and to now where your star power has risen. Obviously, this is all kudos to you. you you've been able to do in and out of the cage. Like, how, how is life different for Danny Sabotello right now as opposed to, say, back in January? It's actually not really too different, you know, because I don't let these dumb fucks online alter my life in any way. You know, obviously I'm getting more eyeballs on me on Instagram and when I'm out, more people are asking for autographs and pictures, but I don't really give a fuck about that. You know, I got a close knit bunch of people around me that, you know, whether I win or lose, it's not going to affect our relationship. You know, if I were big time or small time, it's not like my family's going to disown me. You know, if I lose, it's not like my friends aren't going to text me to go out. So nothing really changes there. Um, I knew this was going to happen. Happened. I just really needed my opportunity. You know, not only was I not supposed to be in this Grand Prix, but I wasn't even supposed to be in Bellator. I got a call from my manager to fight Brett Johns and go in Bellator, sign a contract on five days notice. So I took advantage of that opportunity. And then also with this Grand Prix tournament, I'm so lucky Sergio Pettis is a big pussy and a little bitch and backed out of the tournament because that's how I got my opportunity. And now I had Jornel, uh, yeah, Jornel Lugo and, and beat the shit out of him, you know, obviously made the best of the opportunity and I'm going to keep doing so. You know, I'm already in the semifinals. People were thinking, who the fuck is Danny Sabatello right when I got in the Grand Prix? But now they all know my name. 
Yeah, it makes you kind of think about the, this journey that you've been on, you know, uh, of, you know, the contender series and, and all of that. I mean, like, and, and now you're, you're two fights away from cashing a million dollar paycheck. I mean, is, is that even in your mindset at all? Or is the mindset like, man, I can't even worry about that because I got to get through stats first. Yeah, and I don't really think about the money too much just in general, just because that's not a huge motivator for me. Obviously, fucking million dollars is nice. You know, there's a lot of things I could do with it. Um, but I, I'm just thinking about being the best in the world. You know, it's a good thing that Bellator's bantamweight division is the best bantamweight division in sports. So obviously, if I do win this, I'll be looked at as the best bantamweight. And that's just been a goal of mine for my whole life. You know, I've never been motivated by money. It's obviously a sweetener. It's obviously a sweetener to be famous. It's obviously a sweetener to get the followers on Instagram and all that little bullshit. But at the end of the day, I don't give a fuck about that. My goal is to be the best fucking fighter ever. And in order to do that, I got to beat the shit out of Sass. So now that he's in my way, this is very personal because he's a little bitch. He's standing in my way from me becoming the best fighter ever. So I just got to go all out on this guy. You know, if I just fight my fight and I fight smart and I open up and I push the pace, this should be a no problem fight. You know, I'm making all these fights look easy. Everyone thinks I'm crazy. Everyone thought I was always crazy for saying that I'm going to go in this uh, Grand Prix and dominate it. They're like, yeah, okay, slow down. You know, you might win it. You might not. No, I'm going in here and I'm fucking dominating it. I am winning every round in here. I'm going to finish shots. I'm going to make it all look easy. Is your primary motivation being the best in the world? 100%. That is all I care about. You know, I played sports my whole life. I grew up wrestling, started wrestling at the age of four. So obviously even at that age, you're just not motivated for money. So I've kept the same motivation kind of my whole life. Um, and not just trying to be the best, but this shit's fun to me. You know, I think a lot of fighters, they always talk about, oh man, after I win, it's going to be so fun. Yeah, it is so fun, but I feel like not many people actually look forward to actually performing in that cage and actually fighting. That's something that I look forward to. You know, when I think about this fight, I don't think, oh, it's going to be awesome after I beat him because it's going to be such a good win. No, I'm looking forward to just fucking performing. I'm looking forward to fighting this motherfucker. I'm looking forward to putting my elbow through his fucking skull. That's what I like. And that's how I'm successful is because I actually do love fighting. I don't just say I'm a fighter. I don't just say I love the victories. I actually love to fucking fight. That's what's fun to me. And life's all about having fun and being happy and being happy to me is beating the shit out of motherfucker. So that's, that's where my sight is at. That's where my head's at is just going in there and beating the shit out of fucking stats. And it's going to be a ton of fun. Anyone who's ever played sports knows sports is a grind. You know, when you're trying to be the best that you could possibly be, was there a moment when you made that transition from wrestling into mixed martial arts that you realized you loved the fight game? I've always loved fighting. You know, even when I was growing up wrestling, it was hard not to think about fighting. It was always wrestling with the intent of fighting once my wrestling career was done. You know, even in college, towards the later years, I was kind of just getting frustrated because it's like, man, like I, I fucking love fighting more than wrestling. Why am I still wrestling? But of course, I had goals in wrestling, had to keep tunnel vision on that, had to be patient. Uh, but going back to the whole grind thing, you know, sometimes our grind, obviously, you know, I live in South Florida, so going to the beach would be a more fun thing to do than practice sometimes. But for the most part, I love practice. I love going to practice. I get to go to the best gym in the world twice a day. And the bottom line is my practices are fucking fun to me. I'm getting better at beating the shit out of somebody. So I'm, I'm fortunate to actually really like the sport. You know, a lot of people like just competition day. They like just the victories, but they don't like practice too much. Dude, I look forward to practice. I'm already looking forward to sparring tomorrow. That's just where my sights are at. I always say I don't have hobbies. Hobbies are for average people. I don't really give a fuck about doing other shit. 
you know, video games or hunting isn't going to bring as much joy to me as practicing MMA. So is it a grind? Yeah, sometimes, but I don't really see it that way. I have fun with all aspects of fighting. I have fun with interviews. I have fun sometimes even cutting the weight because it makes me feel a little bit crazy. It makes me realize I'm ready to go into a fucking cage in front of thousands of people and beat the shit out of him. You know, you got to tap into that crazy mindset. And I think cutting weight does that. So overall, I just love everything about this. I don't like looking at it as a grind. Um, I look at it as just fun everywhere. It makes me think about you talk about sparring tomorrow and, and you know, and, and, and fires always talk about like, there's that, you know, one, two, three, four guys in that gym that they just know how to get the best out of you. And, and they'll sometimes say like, that's what fires me up is knowing that like that guy is going to push me. Is there somebody inside the ATT gym that, you know, like, okay, if I'm in the cage with him tomorrow, it's on. It's really everybody, you know, ATT is just a unique situation because we have the best fighters from all over the world and it's not even close. You know, we have the most elite guys and we have the most Ill- amounts of elite guys. Everyone I'm going with, Pedro Munoz, Marlon Marias, Adriano Marias. I'm just going with killers back to back. But it's so good because I got to be ready and stay sharp every fucking day or I'm going to get my head kicked in. But if you're ready every day, then competition day, no matter what adversity throws at you, you're going to be ready because you've already been there. You know, that's why I'm so confident. That's why I talk so much shit is because how could somebody be better than me? I am going to the best gym in the world every day, twice a day. All I do is listen to my coaches. I listen to them blindly. My head coach, Mike Brown, he could tell me to do something and I'm fucking doing it, not thinking twice about it. So who else is like that? You compound that with my God-given ability. I'm going to be taller than everybody that I fight. So I'll have the range. I'm faster than everybody. I got the best cardio and MMA. So you compound that with everything. And I don't think I can possibly lose. The only way for me to lose is for someone to catch me. You know, that's Stott's path to victory. And I think, I think he knows it. You know, he's already fucking scared. If you listen to him talk, he doesn't talk about him being better than me. He just talks about me being boring. I think he understands that in order for him to win, he's going to have to get some crazy knockout, some crazy head kick knockout. Um, And that's a hell of a path to victory. You know, I'll take my route any day. Obviously people are going to have their opinions of you one way or the other. And, And I always talk about that. There's, there's perception, but then there's realities. What per, is there something you see in terms of how people perceive you that you just go, man, that's that's just not that's not true. When they compare me to Colby, I really don't like it strictly because not only does he involve things I'll never talk about. You know, I don't care what somebody's religion or politics or family life is like. You know, I always say I, I hope their family is very happy and healthy. I don't give a shit. You know, it, it doesn't matter about their politics or their religion to me. So it would be bullshit even for me to even bring it up just because it's not authentic. Um, and then Colby also has this shtick, you know, he's not really a shit talker. He's actually like a nice guy. So when he puts on that fake shit, um, that's just something different than me. I think people are starting to understand that this isn't a shtick. This is just who I am. Um, so, yeah, I really don't like the Colby comparisons. I don't like the Henry Cejudo bullshit. You know, anytime these guys are fake and cheesy and script lines, that's just something that I'm not about. And I don't want people to put me in their category. I don't think people are putting me in that category. Some people obviously are just to get under my skin. But, yeah, I, I hope everybody realizes this is real. This isn't scripted. There's no shtick. 
Um, I'm not going to involve any bullshit that doesn't matter outside the cage. You know, get your politics somewhere else. I'll never fucking talk about it. Get your religion or, or any other shit out of here. Um, all I care about is beating the fuck out of this guy. You know, with stats, I don't care who he is as a person. He might be the nicest guy in the world. I don't give a fuck. I'm trying to murder him. All I care about is beating the shit out of stats this fight. And that's it. And we'll leave on this one. Makes me kind of wonder. Would would you would you be the type of guy that might just slide into those Instagram comments on Stotts just to try to to poke the bear a little bit? Uh maybe yes, maybe no. I don't know. Whatever it takes to get in his head. You know, I'm a firm believer in mental warfare. At the end of the day, we're going inside a cage in front of thousands of people, in front of our family, friends, teammates. So your your thoughts are just all that matters. And you have a lot of them before that fight. You know, you're constantly thinking because at the end of the day, man, people have died in that cage. People have been paralyzed. There's a lot that goes on in that cage. So obviously so much thought goes in between it. And I get in these motherfuckers' heads. You look at the way these guys fight me, they fight me different than the rest of their fights. So with Stotts, I'm going to keep getting in his head. I might go in his DMs. I might not. Either way, all my antics are going to work, and I'm going to get in his head, and I think I'm already in his head. You know, it's funny, after I won that last fight and Stotts came in the cage, I put my middle finger in his face, touching his fucking nose, and he didn't do shit for about four or five seconds. He was shell-shocked. I'm already in this motherfucker's head, and to me, I already have this fight won. I can only imagine what those Instagram DMs looked like on Friday night slash Saturday morning. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> not something that will be shared. That's something that's going to be between me and Stotts. And no, I'm just, I'm just thinking of just regular people just sliding in those DMs. Oh, those are fucking <laughs> hilarious because I got about a thousand people loving me. It's fucking great. And then I got a thousand people just fucking hating me, telling me they're going to murder me. And then I'll go to their page and it's just some 12 year old fat kid. It's hilarious. I don't respond. Um, they can go fuck themselves. They're not going to get a response out of me. But yeah, they, it is anarchy in my Insta DMs. Is there sometimes you look at us go, holy crap, man, I really piss off a lot of people. Dude, so many people are mad at me, and it only makes me happier. I fucking love it. People don't understand that I like pissing people off. People talk about my sunglasses, you know, how I talk, how I talk shit to the fucking crowd, how I talk shit to MMA fans. It's because I don't give a fuck, and they're all idiots anyways, so they can all go fuck themselves. Oh, man, I'm, I'm just glad I don't have that problem. You know, you, you, usually it's mostly the DMs like, hey, you want to boost your Instagram following? No, nah, screw that shit. <laughs> Screw that, man. But Danny, man, as always, man, appreciate time, and I'm sure we'll talk uh, right before this match this book, man. Yep, absolutely. Thank you. And that was my conversation with Danny Sabatello. I appreciate him taking some time out of his day to talk to me about his win there against Leandro Higo and also his victory there as upcoming fight, I should say, against Rafael Stout. A date to be determined on that one and uh, be interesting to kind of see. I mean, you hear him talk about how he would love that fight to be in Chicago. Makes you wonder. I know uh, Stotts is now living in Houston. Maybe they would go there. I mean, hell, maybe, maybe Bellator just looks at it and says, hey, man, uh, Sabatello's got a lot of heat on him at, at the Mohegan Sun. Maybe we go to the Mohegan. Maybe maybe it's a you know maybe it's a fight in San Jose, um, but uh, you know great stuff there from Danny Sabatello. And, and I've said this before, Danny is one of my favorite interviews right now in MMA. I, I I really enjoy talking to him. I understand a lot of people may not like him, but I, I enjoy talking to him. And it was very interesting at that at the end of that interview, talking about the one thing you know when we talk about you know perception versus reality, and talk about how he doesn't like the perception that people think that he's just another Colby Covington, and and I, that I 
thought that was pretty interesting by them. And, and, and I could not imagine what the, what does his uh, IG DMs look like after a fight is over. I can only imagine what that may look like there. Uh, let's move on next to the interview. And it's going to be with a fighter that's going to be fighting on this week's episode of The Ultimate Fighter as she looks to cash her way into the finals. Laura Gallardo, as I had a chance to uh, talk to her about uh, the journey to get here, because if you've been watching The Ultimate Fighter, and, uh, you know, I, so I, I've, I've kind of, I'm on, I'm through episode like five now, I want to say, you know, catching a little bit of it. I mean, look, it, it's the same old ultimate fire. Let's not kid ourselves. But, uh, yeah, she came in as an alternate. So I kind of talked to her about how all this played out and, uh, she does preview her matchup come up here on this week's episode of the ultimate fighter. Joining me now here on the MMA report is a fighter that you're going to see come up here on this week's episode of the ultimate fighter. She looks to take her claim into the finals Laura, appreciate time for for people who have not been following the show they may not understand the story with you in terms of this one is because you come in as an alternate and for anyone to watch it was on episode four where there was a fighter who was unable to make weight juliana Payne, her coaches said you know we're we're we're, go- we're looking out for you we're not gonna let you cut that weight you come in and literally you're fighting like two days later so can i talk to you about how all this played out um, so, you know, I went in with everyone else. I was quarantined. I did all the medicals with everyone. And then someone from the production team said, okay, you're not on the cast list. Like you're not going to make it. They send me back home. Everyone goes to the house that week. I go home on a Monday. I get a call on a Thursday saying, Hey, um, are you available? Like someone dropped out. Are you good to come? And I was like, yeah, when's the quickest, you know, like, when should I be there Uh, Sunday? And he goes, no, we need you there uh, Saturday. So then I leave again. I'm there Saturday. Um, I get introduced on Sunday and then I fight Thursday. Um, Everything happened so fast. Literally, my emotions were like, oh, tough. Oh, I didn't get on. Oh, my God, the call. Oh, my God, I'm fighting. Okay, let's go. So it was literally like this until my fight ended. And I was like, okay. First one down, next one. Now I got to prepare for the next one. Like as you think about, uh, you know, the the crazy journey that that uh, the combat sports journey is. Like, is there anything that has happened to you in your combat sports journey that's anywhere close to kind of, you know, hey, um, we might need you to fight in four days. Um, no, not in four days. So, I mean, I've had opponents drop out and then have to fight someone different, you know, in with a like less than a week's preparation. I've had like my, uh, the weight class move, you know, because it was a different fighter and she couldn't make the weight. And then, so I've had all that stuff happen, you know, um, but never, oh, you're going to fight, you know, in four days and not know about it, you know, prior, not have the training camp, not have any of that. And I think one of the interesting things about this, how this plays out in the episode, is the fact of, you know, you come in and then Juliana meets with Amanda to say, hey, we've got a change here. Do you still want the same matchup? And your opponent steps up and goes, no, I want to fight her. Were you aware? Yeah. Was that something that you didn't find out until you actually watched the episode? Yeah, so I didn't know because I knew that I was going to fight. They kept The girls kept telling me, you're going to fight Brogan the first. You, you guys were the first ones. And then when um, I found out it was Catherine Park Rocky, my teammates were like, oh, well, we think she's really heavy that she couldn't make weight the first week. So they just uh, pushed Catherine Park Rocky in. But when I saw the episode and saw that she volunteered herself, I was like, oh, that none of that happened. Like she was game. Like she was 
ready to fight. So it actually made me happy that she chose me. It was a, it was a very cool experience sharing the cage with her and just seeing her personality inside the house versus inside the cage was completely different. You know, she also has this like button that she pushes and then she's, she's in the zone. So it was cool fighting against her. Of course, we get to see here on, on Tuesday's episode in the semifinals. Like, uh, what was your mindset heading into? Was, was it was it different than any other fight? I mean, or was it like any other fight? Uh, you know, just like if hey, if you're you're fighting on Saturday somewhere in California. Uh, for the semifinals or for my first fight? For the semifinals, you know, obviously we're not giving away what happened here, but in terms of that mindset of thinking about okay. I know I went here. Now I'm in the finals. Like what, what was kind of going through your mind as, as you were leading up to that fight? Um, I don't, it was, it's weird, right? Because for this uh, fight specifically, you know, the winner goes to the finals and the winner of that, you know, gets the contract. So in the back of your mind, you are going into this fight thinking like, man, this is my opportunity. This is the opportunity of a lifetime that, you know, I can't, give up or let go like it's the UFC it's always been the UFC so in the beginning you know you think about that and then as you integrate yourself with the team and your coaches your body starts relaxing and you start relaxing and then I just think about fighting and think about who I'm gonna fight in Sprogan and I just don't think about any of the other pressures because why put any other pressure on top of myself anything that's not needed you know I do I fight because I love to fight and I get the opportunity to do so. And if my opponent's broken, it's okay. God bless her. Like, let's, let's go, you know? And if the outcome is, you know, one step closer to my goal, then that is beyond a blessing, you know, but ultimately like I just focus on fighting and allow the other pressures outside of me, things that I can't control just to like, just to stay there outside to not enter right here. <laughs> you mentioned about your love for the fight game. Do you remember when that started? Um, you know, I, I was never in mixed martial arts as a little girl. I did more like basketball and cross country and track and then started mixed martial arts when I was 18. But when I was younger, I do remember watching um, like Bruce Lee or watching my dad was leading to boxing and watching boxers. And I always admired them. Like I was just so in awe of what they could do with their bodies, you know, like how they moved, how quick they were, how they didn't have to like second guess themselves. So even though I wasn't in martial arts when I was younger, uh, I think I started loving like the martial arts world and was just amazed of like all these athletes and what they could do. And you mentioned about uh, your dad here. Uh, you know, when you tell your dad, I, I want to be a professional fighter, what, what was his reaction? Um, it was like, um, maybe not the best, you know, <laughs> obviously no parent wants their, uh, you know, son or daughter to fight as, uh, as a lifetime career, you know, there, you take a lot of damage, you know, physically, emotionally, like mentally, a lot of things can bring you down and it's not an easy life. And at first when he, not that he wasn't supportive, but he would always be adamant about you should, you know, be something professional, like a doctor, a lawyer, or like therapy, you know, like something that is safe and secure. I would be like, ah, oh, like he doesn't support me. Ah. But then I started understanding, you know, it all came from a place of love, all came from a place of wanting to protect me. So at first he wasn't very thrilled. But then as he saw that I was actually good at what I was doing and that I was winning and then, you know, the call for the ultimate fighter, he's like, oh, my God, like, you need to take this all the way. Now he's all like, you got to He's like pushing me. He's like, you got to do whatever you can to be the best because I believe in you, you know, like 
So it, it was a journey for sure, but um, now they're very supportive. And, and of course, uh, as they were featuring you on the show there, they were talking about, you know, of course, uh, you know, training there in California under, under Joe Stevenson at, at Dan Henderson's gym and kind of made me think about, uh, you know, similarities and differences in coaching styles. H- how would you yeah. say that the similarities and differences in your home gym's coaching styles a- as opposed to Juliana and her team? Um, so uh, maybe like my, my coaching style, my, um, yeah, my coaches are very much more in like movement and, you know, takedowns and I do different takedowns and, um, more of like a higher pace. Um, and then their style was more, it was just, I I don't even know how to explain it. It was just a little bit different. Um, I did connect very well with one of the coaches on, um, that Juliana bought, uh, Mike Valley from Chicago. And his style was very like, um, I love this style. Like he was like constant movement, constant like stuttering, constant faking. And it was a perfect matchup. Unfortunately, he left before um, my semifinal fight. So he wasn't able to stay the whole full time, which was like, ah, oh, I missed him so much. But besides that, like um, um, maybe the trainings were a little bit different, but as far as like mentality wise, like, Juliana is very analytical when it comes to fighting and setting up a game plan. And so are my coaches back home. And I appreciated that. I appreciated that they brought like the mind part and the thinking part into, you know, who I was going to fight and not just like it be about training and all that stuff. And of course, as I mentioned, everyone's going to see this on Tuesday, part of the next episode of of the ultimate fighter. Uh, What would you want fans to know about you? Um, that, you know, a lot of stuff they didn't show about me on the on the show um, for obvious reasons, right? Everyone gets their time, you know, when they're fighting. But I'm not like this mean, aggressive person who doesn't shake people's hands and is a total bitch and just like, you know, like walks away. Like, I don't even know if they said that part up, just like me flipping away. I am not like that. Like, I don't shake hands because it's just my thing. Everyone has their thing. And I'm about to fight someone and I honor you and I'm thankful for you because I wouldn't be able to do this without you. But me not shaking your hand, like, don't take it personally. Like, don't, fans, please don't take it personally. And I also have this, like, uh, softer side, which I think allows me to be very, like, strong and hard and aggressive because I know how to balance it. You know, um, very spiritual. I um, like to do, like, my oracle decks, my tarot cards. I like to connect. I like to meditate. I like to do Reiki on myself, like, there's a lot of things that they didn't like capture, but um, I think that's okay because they captured the part that, you know, is fun, like the fighter part, you know, and people got to see how focused and how disciplined and how like passionate I am about fighting. Like I love it with my whole entire like soul. And as long as I get to see that part, I'm fine. Of course we can see, you know, the tattoos you have, which makes me wonder what was the first tattoo you got? My first tattoo, it's actually on my back. And I was, uh, I think, either 17 or 18. I got it in New Mexico. And it says, uh, Faith, Hope, Love. So did did the family know you are getting a tattoo before you got it? Yeah. So my dad actually, I was so adamant about it. It had been a thing that I've been wanting for a long time. So it wasn't like, a, oh, I'm going to get tattooed, you know, on a random day. It was like premeditated. So he actually came with me to a tattoo parlor in Mexico and sat with me while I was getting tattooed. So it was actually a pretty cool family moment. I, I loved it. Now, when they feature your family, you have a brother, correct? Yeah, I have a twin brother. 
So is he involved in martial arts at all? No, he's, you know, we're yin and yang in some parts. He is um, not aggressive like I am. You know, he's actually a primary therapist at a um, rehabilitation center in India called the ABC Club. And he just has a heart for like helping people. And I do too. I just, you know, we do it differently, obviously. But he, yeah, we're, we're completely different. He, you don't want to get him mad because when he gets mad, he'll get, he'll get pretty aggressive. But he probably has like fighting bone in his body. He is really just placed here on earth to like help and give love and really help these people get through like their addictions. You ever had, you ever had that moment like, come on, bro, let's come in, let's do some rolling. Come on, let's do some grappling. I'm always, I think my family finds me so annoying. I'm like always when I go home, like shadow boxing or like pushing or like, or like doing my kicks or like just like moving. And yeah, I'm sure he, I'm like egging him on and he's like, come on, Laura. And he does yoga. So like his isometric strength of like holding in like different positions is like pretty sturdy. So when he holds on to me, I could feel his strength and I'm like, okay, bro, like I don't want to piss you off. Like just playing around. But um, yeah, they're probably annoyed at me. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Of course, look forward to seeing this episode here on Tuesday. Of course, I'll let her know they can follow you on social media. Anything else you want to mention? Yeah, so I'm on Instagram as Bless Laura. I'm on Twitter as La Jefa. And I'm going to be, I'm working on my website right now. And it'll be posted um, on my Instagram with more information of like events or like if they want to contact me and just like more stuff that they want to know about me. And that was my conversation with Laura Gallardo. I appreciate her coming on the podcast to talk about uh, her journey as a mixed martial artist and great stuff there talking about uh, her dad and, and how her brother is not into uh, martial arts or her twin brother. And, uh, of course, great to, to get to know her. And, of course, uh, very interesting, the fact that she comes in as an alternate following a fighter up being uh, where Juliana Payne and her team said, we're not going to allow you to cut weight, which was going to have to cut 28 pounds or something. And, uh, you know, obviously great opportunity here for lord and now uh, potentially of course she fights here on on this week's episode of the ultimate fire which comes out on tuesdays on espn plus and if she wins that she'll be into the finals of the ultimate fire let's move on to the next interview let's go be a fire who's coming off a submission win at ufc vegas 57 and when i spoke to him on friday friday was his birthday and that is mario batista coming off a submission win against brian hell keller as i had a chance to uh, catch up with mario and talk to him about his victory there against brian keller joining me now here on the mma report is a man who is coming off a first round victory there ufc vegas 57 mario batista and as we record this it's his birthday so happy birthday mario uh any any big uh plans to celebrate the birthday Oh, I've been I've been celebrating all week with a bunch of food and everything, but uh, no, nothing special today. Just got some got some gifts and uh, and I was about it. I've had I've had a few birthdays, so uh, it's okay to not go all out. So, in, in terms of that uh, celebratory, celebratory uh, food that you've had since the victory, like is is there always a go to for you? Uh, it, for me, it's burgers, like any type of burger. Um, you know, from a restaurant, it's really nice. Not not like a fast food burger, but oh man, I just I just can't help myself with those. All right, so let's just say you're going out to a restaurant, you're getting yourself a burger tonight, and it's a, it's a, the build your own burger. Like, what what kind of toppings are we putting on the burger? Oh man, I, well I had one yesterday, and it's uh, double patty, some cheese. This one had mushroom on it, 
uh, some bacon and, uh, uh, there's a specific kind of bread. I, I, it's almost like a Hawaiian roll, Okay, but, oh man, something like that, that gets me, that, uh, that sounds good to me. Is that the kind of stuff that like, you know, when it's like fight week and, and you're cutting weight and you're cutting those last couple pounds and, and your mind going, oh man, that burger's going to taste good uh, here in about two days. Oh yeah. And I gotta, I gotta work up to it too. Cause if I eat that right off the bat, yeah, my stomach cannot handle it. So you gotta wait a few days. And like I said, uh, I had one yesterday. It was pretty good. I think I've eaten at home maybe twice since, since the fight. So I've been going a little crazy. I need to slow down a little bit. And of course, mentioning you go out there and you get the win and, and you noted after the fight was over, you're like, man, I, I really thought this was going to be a three round war. This is what I anticipated. But of course, uh, it, it goes very quick for you. I mean, obviously, you've now had a couple of days to to go back and, and look at the fight. I mean, what, what's kind of do you have some some more thoughts on maybe some things that, that surprised you about how the fight ultimately played out? Uh, surprising, I guess I would say. I just felt really strong in there. When I wrapped up with him, I, I felt like I was definitely the stronger fighter. Um, and then it, besides it going pretty quick, uh, th- that's what kind of surprised me. But like, like the saying goes, you know, train hard, fight easy. And I think uh, it really applied to this fight. I remember, uh, you know, there's another fighter I know, and, and they had talked about they went in with a game plan to fight. And, and the, the plan was to sit there and have a striking matchup. They said, but we got our first tangled up and I just realized like, Oh man, I'm just, I feel more stronger and said the game plan just changed and, and said, you know what? I realized that I can take him to the ground and I can get there. Was that a part of the thought when you had that first uh, tussle up with, with Brian of like, okay, maybe, maybe this is the, the better, the better path to go. Yeah. And it's something I've been working on, like growing through the UFC. Um, my first few fights, I just kind of kept him standing um, I don't know if I just didn't feel confident in my ground game or, or what the deal was, but going into that Jay Perrin fight, you know, I said, I'm going to try everything, you know, I'm, I'm not going to keep it standing. I'm going to go through all, all my repertoire, you know? And so I brought it to this fight too. And, and like I said, I was open, you know, not just a striking match. I was going to make it an MMA fight. And, and through that, I found, um, you know, an easier path to victory instead of just, you know, banging with the guy. Was there a turning point before the J fight where you just said, man, I, I, I've got to, I've got to, you know, take all the tools into, into the cage. Yeah. It was definitely after my last loss against Trevor, Trevin Jones, because I thought about it when I was in there, like, man, should I take this guy down? And he's a black belt. So I just, I just didn't go ahead and try, you know, and, and him being a black belt doesn't necessarily mean I was going to get submitted. Um, but it was just something in my mind. And so I just thought about it. So I did not take it, take him down. So like I said, leading into the next fight, I grew from it and I learned. And so in, in the Jay Perrin fight, I said, I'm going to try everything and I'm going to go through everything and, and find like the easiest way to victory. How much of this game is mental for you? Uh, You know, I didn't think a lot, you know, I'm always ready to fight no matter what. It's just, uh, um, I guess thinking in there and feeling comfortable mm-hmm. um, in there in which I have, you know, I've had, I think half my fights outside the UFC and half of them in there. And my next one, you know, I'll have the majority of my fights in the UFC. So I'm definitely getting comfortable in there and uh, really believing in, in all my abilities. 
you know, they, they talk about that, the belief, you know, confidence, I guess, is, is another word. And and I, and I think the, the perception that a lot of people have when they're they're tuning in, say, to watch you fight, they're thinking that that's obviously not an issue. But is it something as an athlete you kind of got to grow into that? Yeah. And, you know, sometimes you just, you just don't know. Like I said, I've always thought, like, I, I'm, I'm smart in the way I, I think and I'm confident. But as the fights go on and on, and the more fights I have, I know there's, it, it could be endless to amount, the amount of confidence I have and how good I feel in there. So like I said, it's just, it just comes with the, it's a learning process. You mentioned about the next fight's going to mean you've, you've had more, you know, more fights in the UFC than anywhere else. I mean, as you think about when you came into the UFC and you made that debut and, and to where you're at now, how different is the mindset? It's been a lot different. It's definitely a growing process. Um, just feeling more and more confident through each fight. And I know it's, it could be endless the amount of confidence I have. And I know, I know I'm just heading in the right direction. Um, not only in my training, but in the UFC, you mentioned uh, in your post fight interview in the octagon that you had your sights set on the other bantamweight matchups uh, that were a part of last week's card. I mean, is that still the mindset in terms of your next fight? Oh yeah. No, no one really did anything afterwards. So, also the winners uh who was it um the guy that beat Paiva I forget his name and then obviously Norma Demadoff but he's also he's now ranked so I'm sure he's gonna be looking ahead but you know I'm I'm open to whoever I know whoever I'm gonna fight it's gonna be exciting just as long as it's gonna as it pushes me forward and gets me closer to top 15 I'm ready to fight whoever have you thought about a timeline of when you'd like to get back in there uh I'm looking around October yeah, get one in before the end of the year, see how that goes. And then uh, if I can get started early next year, then I could, you know, have it planned out to fight each quarter and maybe get four in there. Have you have you at all thought about, like, kind of, you know, goals of what you, you're trying to accomplish over the next, you know, 12 months? Uh, fight as often as I can, you know, obviously win and take each fight. Uh, fight by fight, you know, and, and obviously everyone's goal is to be the champion. Yeah. So that's my goal. But like I said, to get there is you have to take a fight by fight. You can't, you can't be looking too far ahead. And then next thing you know, you know, you're not getting anywhere. So. No, no doubt about it. No doubt about it. But congratulations on the victory. Have a great birthday, Mario. As always, man, I appreciate time. Of course, uh, let me know anything you on social media. Anything else you want to mention, man? I just want to thank my, my team. MMA Lab. Uh, tomorrow we have Sean O'Malley and Jared Kenier fighting. So I want to say good luck to those guys. Um, and yeah, I want to thank you and thank you for your time. And there you have my conversation with Mario Batista. As always, appreciate Mario coming on the podcast to talk about his victory there at UFC Vegas 57 against Brian Kelher. And I mean, look, that was a fight that I did not see going that way. I, I thought that was going to be a three round war, but man, goes in there, locks in that submission, and uh, we'll see what's next there for Mario Batista. Next up, we got a fighter who's going to be fighting here in two weeks or three weeks from now, as it's going to be at UFC London, and that is Charles Rosa. I had a chance to. Uh, speak to him about his upcoming matchup some changes that he has made uh, along with training at Sanford MMA but also talks about how uh, wrestling has been a focus for this camp 
Joining me now here on the MMA Report is a man that's going to go over to London, returning to the UFC Octagon, Charles Rosa. Charles, man, as always, uh, appreciate the time. Uh, before we kind of get into this fight, I want to get your take. Obviously, MMA judging has been this this really huge topic over the past couple of weeks. And, and I was asking another UFC fighter this earlier today, and I said, if you had a chance to sit down five, ten minutes with a judge, what would you ask him? Well, first thing I would ask him is, do they have any any prior um, competition, like, have they ever competed? Have they ever done mixed martial arts? Have they ever trained it? Have they ever been part of it? Or do they just watch it? You know what I'm saying? So that's, I think, a thing. Like, if they have any hand-to-hand combat experience, I think would be probably the first thing. And it does, I'm not saying that you have to have that, but I think that's just something I would like to know. You know, I'd be curious. So that would be the first thing. And, um, you, know, I've, I, you know, I've lost a couple tough split decisions in my career that, you know, I still eat at me to this day. So I wish I could talk to a couple of those judges, but it is what it is. You know, you, you, you move on and you just try to get the finish every time. So you don't leave it in the hands of the judges. Are those the fights that ultimately eat at you? Is those fights to where, you know, after a fact, you're just, you're going back and, and you're trying to figure out, you know, what exactly they felt of why they didn't score around for you. I mean, you eat about those more than, you know, anything else. No, I think it's something that just bothers me because, like, in the UFC, it's not like you're just losing the fight, you know, which is the most important thing. You know, it's not about the money, but you're also losing half a paycheck. So you're losing an extra, you know, X amount of money, that half your paycheck. So it's like, you look at, like, what happened to Calvin Cater. I mean, if I could have went either way, I thought it was a great close fight. But you look at it and you're like, man, dude, not only did Calvin Cater lose a big part of his dream and probably a potential fight uh, title shot, um, you know, at, at the highest level of something that he dreams about, but he also lost a shit ton of money, a lot of money, you know what I'm saying? And that's how, you know, he takes care of himself and that's his career, you know? We're not making millions of dollars right now, so that amount of money is a big difference. So, um, you know, it's definitely... They're not just playing with people's, you know, careers, they're playing with their money, too. So, you know, how when you start playing with people's money, then it comes a real problem. <laughs> yeah, uh, of course. Uh, and, of course, you, you're going you're going to go over to London here for this matchup. You're going into your know, opponent's backyard here. I mean, is that uh, – you, you, do you like being that type of guy? Like, you know, like, like you know, you talk to guys yeah. on a regional scene, and, you know, they're going into their opponent's hometown. You know, their opponent's a ticket seller or whatnot, and, and they talk about how they, they, they rave in that. They love that scene. Are, are you the kind of the same way? Yeah, no doubt. I love it. I mean, I, I love fighting all over the world. I was, you know, I went all the way to Tokyo, Japan to fight Mizuto Hirota. He ended up missing weight after I made weight. That fight got canceled. I was crushed. But, you know, I fought Yair Rodriguez in Mexico City. It was one of the best experiences of my life. It was so fun. You know, they allowed me to tour the city. Got to go to the Getty Alvarez tour the city before, you know, with my dad. And, you know, got to see Mexico City go to, like, all the pyramids and all these cool things and just do, like, kind of like a, you know, whole, like, you know, thing before and then i got there and you know it definitely was tough walking out when they're booing me pouring beer down you know me and i'm walking in the cage with uh you know beer soaked underwear but hey man this is this is this is what i live for you know what i'm saying this is it doesn't matter if i'm fighting this kid in the backyard you know the backyard of someone's house the parking lot of a supermarket or you know over at a pool or if i'm fighting them at the biggest stage in the world you know in london england with on live on espn with millions tuned in i mean a fight's a fight at the end of the day there's two people locked in the cage you know and uh you know, the only one guy's going to win. It doesn't really matter what's going on in the, in the outside. But one thing that I do feel is the energy. So, I mean, good and bad energy is still energy. So, you know, I feed off of it. You know, you get a reaction when you hit someone, when you get hit, 
when you get out of a submission, things like that. And this is something I feel like I've been missing big time, man. Like I fought my last six fights at the apex and there's none of that energy. There's no energy. It's like you get out of a submission and like you just hear his coach be like, all right, you know, hold him down. And you're like, Oh, what? come on, man. Like there's no like excitement. There's no, so that's on my feet off of, you know, I'm a, I'm a sports guy, you know, Boston Bruins, Patriots, you know, I'm a, so I'm excited to get that energy back. Is your expectations of the fight, is you're expecting Nathaniel to, to try to engage in the grappling and, and try to make you work off your back? Is that your mentality heading into this one? Well, that's something I've changed, you know, a lot. Like my, and it's funny that you go back to the judging thing and you say like that, like my goal in fighting has always been to finish the opponent. You know, like I get in there and I'm trying to break his arm, trying to knock him out. And that's my only goal. I'm not trying to like, oh, I'm trying to win minutes of the round. That's never been me. So like, where do I get the most submissions off of? On my back. Like you put me on my back, you get triangled, arm barred, you're getting leg locked. Like you're getting attacked. You know what I'm saying? Like, and you can ask anybody I fought, like that's that it is. But if you don't get those submissions and the guy's able to survive, which, you know, my last five opponents have been able to survive these submission barrages, you know, cause they're just as high level, you know, there's, they're, they're able to escape out of them then you end up being on your back for two or three minutes of a round and the round's over and you lose. And whether you did more damage or whether you went for more submission attempts, whatever, the, the way the judges see it is, hey, well, I mean, one guy was on top, one guy was in the bottom. Like, you know, uh, it looks like that guy kind of won because I don't really know how to score the fight. Like, you know, and it's what it is. So uh, that's something I've changed my trying to train my strategy a little bit is to stay on top. You know, it's something that's, been a big problem because I've always been more of a jiu-jitsu guy but you know I've been focusing a lot of my wrestling this camp so you know um you know one of the things like my coach said he goes every time I he goes I, he goes I want you on top all the time if you know if I see you on your back you gotta give me a hundred bucks and then if every minute you're on top I get a hundred bucks so like it's like we're, we're we're doing these fun sessions and I'm able to you know stay on top and if I get on my back it's you know submission or get up it's not like okay we're gonna you know, survive here and hunt for submissions like I've done in the past. So something I've changed a little bit in my game or a lot of it. And, um, you know, at this point now with the amount of money I'm getting in my fights, like I'm not, you know, I'm an exciting fighter. I want to finish fights, but I also got to win the fight. You know, like that's what my coach, you know, my past coach, Mike Brown would be like, Charlie, you know, I really love your fight. I love your style. The UFC loves your style. They love giving you bonuses. Everybody loves watching you, but I'd really like to see you get the win. And sometimes it might require you just holding him there for an extra minute of the round. And he goes, I know that's not your style, but we got to really consider it. And he's, he's always told me, and I've never really taken his advice until, you know, um, you know, no longer he's you no know, training with them, but it's something that, you know, still sticks with me and something that I've been using this camp. So his voice still ringing in my head from that. And that's something I'll, I'm going to, I'm going to showcase in London. That was one thing I did notice on your Instagram is where you're training at now. Was that just uh, something that you just kind of came to realization that you need to make a change? Yeah, I mean, I've, I'm training over at Sanford MMA, you know, in the mornings. So I go there and get my pro training in with, you know, the high-level guys I'm sparring every day with, like, Andre Caldwell, Andre Harrison, Jared Gordon, like, you know, um, Erwin Rivera, like the, the top, you know, Sean Soriano, the top guys on the planet, you know, and, uh, you know, you can see Usman in the cage right there, and he's one of the greatest fighters ever. Logan Storley, Bellator champion, like, you see, look around, and you know you're in the right place. You know, you got two-time national champion, Greg Jones, Henry Hoof, Dutch kickboxing legend, all these guys in the gym, and, you know, you, you know you're in the right place. There's no question about it. 
Um, you know, there's a lot of guys in there. So that's where I love to go in the mornings, get my hard work and get my sweat in. And then I like to go, you know, I'm a loyal guy. This is something that has been an issue with my whole fighting career is, you know, I'm, I'm loyal to my team, loyal to my coaches. Um, you know, Charles McCarthy is a guy that got me in this, you know, helped me a lot since my day one in the gym and helped build me and somebody he's been in my corner every single fight in my career. So that's somebody that I don't you know want to get rid of and somebody that showed me a lot of skills and hasn't just been there for me you know, physically as a fighter, but mentally as a coach. And he's a smart guy and he's a smart enough guy and willing that if it's something that he can't teach me, he'll tell me to go somewhere else where most coaches would be like, Hey, I want you here at this gym. And he's like, Hey man, if you're getting better training, like that's what I want for you. I want you to be the best version of yourself. I want you to win. So I'll get my skills building and my, you know, game planning and my private attention over at American combat gym with my coach Charles McCarthy and my little brother trains there. He's 11 and 0 on the feet amateur fighter. who was just the main event at the hard rock last week. Like he's crushing it. Lucas Rosa, King of monsters is his nickname. So I'm real proud of him. I like to get working with him and help him. But yeah, the morning training every day is over at Sanford and uh, getting that hard work and steady grinding and, uh, you know, be ready for Daniel uh, Wood in London, July 23rd. So who's going to be in your corner besides Charles in London? I got a, uh, I got a long time teammate, uh, Matt, Matt Waggy. Uh, he's a, he's a wrestling collegiate wrestler. So he's right. He's wrestling. And then I got, you know, six time white title world champion, Gregory Choplin. So Choplin, he's a French kickboxing coach and, uh, man, like, you know, I would love to, you know, have Henry and those guys there, but you know, Henry's traveling so much. He's doing so many things. Uh, I get it. So, you know, he allows me to work over with, with the Gregory Choplin who's, you know, world-class coach, you know, it's, it's perfect. And I'm able to get the attention and the time I need to be the best fighter I could be. And I think for this sport being such an individual sport, you know, I think that the, that the coaches and people can look at it from that perspective. You know, I mean, a lot of t- sports are team sports and, you know, I'm part of a team and I help my teammates and stuff. But at the end of the day, you're getting locked in the cage with, with one other guy, you know, and you got to have the skills to be ready. So there's no way one coach can teach, you know, all 70 people at one time. So, you know, if I got to get my specialized training and I'm at the highest level. So, you know, I've been getting the work I need in and, uh, you know, Gregory has been an incredible coach, man. Like he's, you know, really specializes, you know, in knees, clinch, punches, elbows that, you know, close fighting and, uh, good kicks and, you know, just keep my defense tight. You know, sometimes I'm kind of all over the place, but my defense is strong and, you know, Nathaniel's a good counter puncher, good striker. So, you know, my defense is tight. I know I can take the damage and I can walk right through him and, uh, I'm excited to put on an exciting fight in London. Of course, look forward to seeing this fight here July 23rd. UFC London, Charles, man, as always, uh, appreciate time. Of course, uh, let me know they can find you on social media. Anything else you want to mention, man? No, man, just get yeah, definitely everybody tune in July 23rd. UFC London, you know, I also want to mention I'm training over at IHP, Institute for Human Performance, which uh, JC Santana has been awesome. Like, so, you know, one thing you're going to see from this fight is the biggest, strongest version of myself. You know, one thing that I've never taken into consideration my whole career is, is the strength training. And this is something that I've really built on and, you know, having Nathaniel Wood move up from 35, I mean, he's going to see, you know, he's going to, he's going to see what it's like to do with the big boys up uh, in the next week class. So he's going to probably have to move back down after this one. And that was my conversation with Charles Rosa. Appreciate him taking some time out of his day to talk to me and uh, really interesting hear him talking about the, the change up in training 
course, uh, a, a guy who has been a longtime staple there at Coconut Creek at American Top Team now training there uh, at, at Sanford MMA, which has gone under a, a new name change over here over the past couple of days. Got a got a uh, I forget who the corporate sponsor is now. I want to say it's like a CBD company or something along those lines. But uh, you know, and of course, uh, you know, you mentioned about you know he's still with Charles McCarthy, his longtime coach who, who uh, you know coaches fighters down there uh, in South Florida. Charles actually is manager at one point, uh, and uh, Charles uh, no longer managing fighters. And, uh, you know, and obviously also, uh, you know, talking about how wrestling has been a focus. And, you know, I think when we think about Charles Rosa, I mean, one of the things I do think about is, you know, we, we do, you know, find himself playing a lot of jujitsu and fights off his back. And, and for the most part, that's just not going to win you rounds. And now let's move on to the final interview of this edition of the podcast. It is with the fighters going to be fighting here on Saturday, UFC Vegas 58. And that is Jared Vandera, who's going to be taking on Chase Sherman. I had a chance to uh, catch up with Jared, talk to him about what has been going on in uh, leading up to this fight his last fight against Alexinic and his matchup here on Saturday joining me now here on the MMA report is a man that's going to be a part of the UFC card come up here on Saturday July the 9th Jared as always man appreciate the time uh you know just going through your Instagram see grinding away in the gym man so uh what, what's been going on since the last time we saw you uh same thing different day uh at the gym training working uh you know, being a father, trying not to, you know, throw the kids away in the trash can, you know, the usual stuff. You know, after your last fight, I think the thing, the, the kind of the viral clip that was out there uh, was you and Alexi in the back and, and Alexi showing you the, the choke that he used. Um, was that more of just like a thing of like, man, was it like a, man, how the hell did he pull this thing off? Well, yeah, I was drilling to get out of that range and I was like, fuck, this is a lot tighter than anyone I'd try to get out from. Like, everyone I drilled this with, uh, I was like, no one held me down like Alexi. Scarfold like this, what did his Ezekiel fill out? Feel, feel like? And sure enough, when he put that Ezekiel on me, I was like, oh, I'm thankful I didn't get caught in this. Like, we did everything to stop that, but even then, it was just when he got a hold of you, it was a different feel. The only person I can literally equate this to is just the grip and the strength of, like, his arms is dad. Uh, like, Dan and Alexi just have that, like, grappler, like, met someone that was in, like, the blue-collar industry and construction industry that – always was using their forearms and stuff. And, you know, they might not be the strongest, but that, that grip that, that, you know, from years of just doing something that, you know, it, it was just, un I was like, what the fuck? It was just it was very surreal how strong he was. And, but like, I had to put my price side. I was like, you know what? You caught me in it. Might as well learn it. And I really wasn't trying to get a viral hit off. It was me just genuinely curious on on a guy's skill. And, yeah, and yeah, we blew up off of that. It, it, it kind of made me think about it because, obviously, in this matchup, it, it's a totally different realm of the spectrum. Chase Sherman's not going to be trying to, to have a grappling match with you. He wants to stand up. Is it? 
Is it tougher to prepare for someone like an Alexi with with his grappling abilities as opposed to knowing in, in a guy like Chase that he's not going to try to most likely not try to engage in the grappling? Oh, uh, it, well, it's not necessarily like when it comes to the grappling aspect, it was Onik is he's strange even for grappler standards. Like, you don't see people going for no Ezekiel's. You don't see people going for scarfolds on a regular basis. I mean, they're there. Uh, like, a lot of people were telling me, like, after that, they're like, hey, don't even feel bad that you got smitten by a scarfold. Everyone. It's like Dean Lesnar tapped to Josh Barnett off Scarfold, and Dean's no joke. Even Josh Barnett, but still, it's like these, you know, these moves exist. And they're just weird, and they're unorthodox. Um, now, Chase, you know, he, he's a striker. Like, that's kind of my forte. Uh, I like striking, uh, but... There's been a few things that came up since the Olenek fight that I don't, I have not addressed uh, since, uh, or I addressed after the Olenek fight. And so, if he really wants to go to the ground, let him try. He could try to go to the ground. There's been a lot of small improvements that have really taken dramatic effect since my Olenek fight. And again. The Olenek fight, I can't beat myself up too badly. I took it on a week notice. And even with the week, I tried to drill the escapes. It just bit me in the ass. And, you know, I I was doing solid until I wasn't. I was winning that fight for the good 80% of the fight in the last, like, 20 seconds. It, it went south. So, I mean, it's kind of hard to really make a judgment off of that. How long have you had to prepare for uh, Chase? Uh, on paper, two and a half weeks. And, and mentioning about striking, and, and you talked about, you know, what you're, you know, what, I mean, obviously it's martial arts, anything can happen. But would it shock you if Chase tried to engage in the grappling? Uh, I mean, it would, considering like his last two outings have been a lot quicker of matches and due to people out grappling him. Like he went against Romanoff, got submitted uh, pretty quickly. And then Jake Collier actually submitted him, I think quicker than Romanoff did. I like, I was just shocked to see how quickly that fight happened. I was, I remember watching, I was like, you know, I think Chase might be Jake. Exchange, exchange, takedown. Okay, let's see. No, it, it's over. Oh, okay, I'm wrong. So, I mean, I would be interested to see him try to, but like I said, I addressed a few things that I did, I wasn't doing before the Linux fight. So if he really wants to try, you know, he could be my next, you know, target. Is it one of those things because of what has happened in his his past couple of fights in terms of the grappling aspect that you kind of feel like pay me a potential advantage for you is that you can use that to your advantage that even if it's just a faint, a, a, fa- a fainting like you're going to take it to the ground, that's actually kind of a, a big advantage you have? Oh, possibly. Uh, I mean, if again, like if you watched my last fight, yeah, 
I lost pretty quickly once Olenek took, uh, was able to reverse my position. But the fact that I had Olenek's back, I, you know, I, you know, I threatened the rear naked. Not a lot of people threaten Olenek with a rear naked. I have them. Uh, Romanoff, uh, I, I, I don't make this excuse, but I had my guillotine in uh, when I was fighting Romanoff. I had my guillotine locked up. Uh, the ref, how he told Romanoff to get off the fence was let go as he was rushing towards me. So I see the ref coming. I'm like, I hear let go. And then as he says, let go, Romanoff, I was like, I loosened my choke. Mm. I was like, fuck. And I'm not going to blame the ref or anything. That's my fault for easing up. So, you know, that's why I don't make that excuse. But I knew I had a guillotine threat on Romanoff. Uh, Spivak, I attempted a Komora. I will submit this. I fucking hate Komoras. I'm trash at them. But I was like, oh, look at me. I have a Komora. Be scared. It didn't go anywhere. But the fact that, you know, I was able to even try to almost get that submission locked up. Even though I have lost to grapplers myself, I'm not just losing to grapplers in just a, oh, no, they're grappling me. I, I actually tried to hang with them, and maybe my ego uh, gets the best. Me. Like, I'm going to grapple with these fuckers, too. And instead of, like, hey, you're a better striker, get them up, stand them up, and beat them up on your feet. Now, I don't have to worry so much with uh, Chase doing that. And I'm pretty sure if he shoots on me once, he'd be like, yeah, you know what? I'm going to just stick the punch in this guy. And I'd be like, cool. Uh, final thing, and obviously judging has been such a, a huge topic in the sport about, you know, whether there should be changes, whatnot, all this. But if you had the opportunity to sit down five to ten minutes with the judge and, and just pick their brain about what they're looking for in a fight, is there something in particular you would ask them about? I actually, I don't necessarily, I mean, the judges see the exact same fight as you and I see it on the television. But wherever you are, you're not getting, what is it? If I'm front row on the left hand side, you're front row on the right hand left corner side. We're getting two different visuals of the same fight. And people need to take that in perspective that, you know, not all three judges are there, there, and there. Yeah. You got a judge here, you got a judge in this corner, and you got a judge in that corner. And what this judge is seeing is, let's say, a guy getting pieced up, where, whereas this judge is seeing a whole different fight. And it's one of those things where we need to be a little bit more understanding that their perspective and our perspective are two entirely different things. Jared, man, I look forward to seeing the fight here coming up here on the 9th. Of course, uh, let her know they can fight on social media. Anything else you want to mention, man? Captain Insano shows no mercy. Just going to go for the eyes in this fight. Uh, <laughs> no, uh, thank you for having me. And, uh, you know, if you want to follow me, you know, hit me up. Uh, find me on uh, all the major social media platforms under Jared Vandera. 
And that was my conversation with Jared Van Der. Appreciate him coming on the podcast to talk about what has been going on with him leading up to his matchup here on Saturday, UFC Vegas 58. And of course, uh, that is a matchup that uh, I would be highly surprised uh, if uh, Chase Sherman tries to initiate the grappling. But maybe that is something that uh, Jared Van Der uh, tries to initiate the uh, the grappling in that one because I mean, like Chase Sherman, we all we all know Chase Sherman is a, is a striker. He's I would be relatively surprised if he does uh, take it to the ground. So I appreciate Danny Sabatello, Laura Gallardo, Mario Batista, Charles Rosa, and Jared Vandera coming on this edition of the MMA Report podcast. Of course, uh, we, I put out two podcasts every week on Sunday and on Wednesday. Sunday is here. I'm by myself for the interview edition of the show. And then on Wednesdays, Daniel Galvan joins me where we talk about what's going on in the world of MMA. Of course, on Wednesday's episode, which will probably comes out sometime in the evening as I'm actually taking the next couple of days off uh, just to kind of enjoy the, the 4th of July. And so hopefully everyone uh, has a good 4th and safe 4th of July. Uh, but on Wednesday, we will preview UFC Vegas number 58. Of course, that's going to be headlined by a really nice matchup here uh, at 155 pounds, Rafael Dos Anjos and Rafael Faziv. Uh, also, you know, just kind of looking at the, the, the rest of the card, uh, Michael Johnson. I mean, he's always a fun fighter to watch. Take, he's taking on. Uh, Jamie Malarkey, Nia Nunez versus Cynthia Calvillo's on this card. Antia Shevchenko, uh, she is on this card as well. She's taking on Courtney Casey. Uh, you know, Ronnie Lawrence, that's uh, a guy to definitely pay attention to there uh, as well. So, uh, uh, But really looking forward to that main event uh, coming up here on Saturday. Of course, uh, on uh, on Wednesday's episode of the podcast, I'm sure we'll probably talk a little bit about PFL. As, um, you know, one of the things I'll tell you, so I... Uh, I was here in my, my home studio on Friday. I was watching the preliminary card. I was actually rewiring my studio uh, here. And uh, so I, I had the PFL show on. It was kind of, you know, more probably background noise than anything else. But uh, ended up uh, going out on, on Friday night and, and went to a, a newer sports bar here in Tampa. And uh, I mean, and, uh, this is a, a sports bar that I've now been to twice. Uh, it, it opened up about two weeks ago here. Uh, really good. Uh, I've had had excellent food there. And, uh, you know, I talked about it on the podcast last Wednesday about the fact of I went there and uh, the UFC just wasn't on. And even though it was on ESPN2 and then um, it was on ESPN for the main card and then within like, you know, five minutes of the main card being on ESPN, it got turned to something else. And so I just had it on my phone, which I'm pretty used to going to the bar and watching watch fights on the phone. It's not really a big deal to me. But, uh, you know, we get in there, sit at the bar and... Uh, I, and, I mean, this place, I, I want to say the advertise they have 84 TVs, like 30 around the bar. And I looked at every TV around the bar and not one of them had the PFL fight. So I'm like, whatever, you know, I, I, I'm i sure I probably could say, maybe said something to a, a bartender like, hey, you know, can you put on ESPN so I can watch the, the fights? But uh, what I did find interesting is that when the main event was about to start, I don't know if somebody asked to put the fights on or if they they decided to put the fights on, but so, someone switched to ESPN and the Kayla Harrison fight was on. So I thought that was kind of interesting um, in, in terms of that one. But, uh, of course, Kayla goes out there 
and gets the win in that one. And, uh, of course, uh, now the playoffs are all set in the PFL. And so uh, uh, I know I saw uh, uh, Larissa Pacheco was saying some things about Kayla Harrison. And, uh, you know, that they're, they're the number one, number two seeds there in the lightweight. And it'd be interesting to kind of, you know, I think that's probably the ideal matchup if you're the PFL uh, for the championship would be Kayla Harrison against Larissa Pacheco. Of course, we all know that uh, Pacheco had the issues uh, last season with making weight where she pulled out of it. So we'll see if maybe they can set that up. Pacheco, uh, she got 12 points in the, in the, in the regular season here with two first round finishes there. Um, Roy McDonald, even though he did loss, he, uh, since, uh, Sabadu C, uh, he did clinch the number one seed, so maybe potentially we see that rematch uh, between him and Sabadu C in the finals if they can get through there. Uh, Magma Karamov just misses out on the playoffs. Ray Cooper third, uh, he misses out on the playoffs as well. Of course, uh, you know he missed weight in his first fight there, but man, brutal knockout that he had there. Um, but you know, kind of looking at the PFL playoffs and, and what kind of you know the lightweight, the lightweight division is probably the division that interests me the most. Um, and, and that really is because of, of the four names in it. Of course, Pettis and Ray, they'll have their rematch in, in one, in one of the, um, first round playoff matchups. And Olivia, I've Mercier, Alex Martinez will be the other one. So I would probably say lightweight is probably the one that interests me the most. Fe- um, Men's featherweight is probably number two for me. Um, you know, you got Chris Way versus Brandon Laughlin. That's an opening round matchup in, in the playoffs. That's a really interesting matchup. I would imagine that Chris Way would probably test the grappling in that ma- matchup. Um, you know, so but uh, but PFL, you know, look, I, I I've said this before. Like, I mean, look, I, I have their issues with their broadcast. I, I don't I personally. I, I don't think it's a very enjoyable broadcast to watch. Of just the kind of the pacing of the of the show absolutely sucks. But uh, you know, I, you know, I do enjoy the PFL because you know it is one of the things. Of, hey, first off, these fires are making a crap ton of money. Um, by the way, there was a there was a profile of Kayla Harrison done by I want to say it was the New York Times, and uh, they actually did a really good job of, of kind of talking about how the free agency process played out because I, I feel like. When the PFL controls that narrative about the Kayla Harrison free agency, I feel like they try not to throw it out there that the fact of she accepted a contract with with Bellator and they matched it. I kind of feel like they just kind of try to put it out. They they try to put their own spin on like they just re-signed her. But uh, it did note that basically saying and I, I look I had, I had heard that Kayla got the bag and the the article mentioned the fact that she's uh, making nearly $1 million a fight. And I'm just, I'm sitting there going, I don't know. I look, I want to see the PFL succeed. I, I don't know how the PFL makes money. I, I really don't. And, and it, it really makes me wonder, you know, obviously they're going into the pay-per-view um, arena, 50, you know, Don Davis already came out and said that the pay-per-view is going to cost $50. Oof. Man, good luck. Good luck. Um, because I, I'm going to look, I'm the type of person they are targeting to buy a pay-per-view. I, outside of Kayla Harrison versus Chris Cyborg, I don't know what the PFL can put on pay-per-view at a $50 price point that is going to get me to spend that money. And it's like, I've, I always say this, like, even if you have the income to spend for those pay-per-views, if you don't believe the pay-per-view is worth that, it's your best way to tell a promoter it's not worth it. And to me, that is, you know, I, I want to see the PFL succeed, but I, man, 
I, 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 I get why they're going the pay-per-view route, but I just don't know if it's really the, the smartest thing for them to do. But I'm sure for myself and Daniel, we'll talk more about PFL. On Wednesday, of course, uh, we'll get Daniel's take on, on UFC 275. I know he was, uh, we were, me and him were texting last night during the uh, fights. And, uh, of course, we'll get you ready for UFC Vegas number 58 coming up on this weekend. As I mentioned, hopefully everyone has a great, safe, uh, and fun 4th of July weekend. I know I'm going to be, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to enjoy it. I'm going to, uh, let's just say I'm going to enjoy some cocktails. Oh, well, yeah. I'm, I'm going to enjoy some, some nice adult beverages over the next couple of days. Uh, look forward to that. Uh, uh, you, I will have a, a betting preview over on the Odd Shopper YouTube channel if you want to check out that. That should be, that'll come out on Wednesday night. I'm actually, uh, I'll be recording that from my hotel room on Tuesday night. So so you can uh, check that out over at the Odd Shopper YouTube channel. Of course, you can always check me out over there at stochastic.com with Daily Fantasy. Is, uh, one, of our, uh, one of our listeners hit big last night on DraftKings. Kudos to you for doing that. It was uh, you know, not an ideal night for me over there on DraftKings. But uh, that is going to do it for this edition of the MMA Report Podcast. Of course, appreciate you taking time out of your day to download and listen to this episode of the podcast. Of course, a great way to show your support rating review that really does help us out a lot as well also be sure to check out the mma report youtube channel as uh, you can check out a lot of all my fighter interviews uh, i will tell you i've got two regional fighter interviews uh, that'll be posted uh, coming up here in the next couple of days austin green a up-and-coming heavyweight also raul rosas Ro- rojas i should say raul rosas uh, he is a 17 year old mexican fighter who is already five and no in his mma career spoke to him as well so be sure to check out that and of course we put podcast clips up there as well so that's going to do it for this edition of the Airport podcast which comes out two times a week on sunday and on wednesdays on your favorite podcasting platform and radioinfluence.com <laughs>